I'm going to jump into Matthew 18, uh, but first I need to just share a story with you. And I hope this is okay. This is more on personal Dustin's story. But um, I'm a parent, I'm a dad, and sometimes uh, a parent's job can be sort of unfulfilling. But this week, I was so fulfilled because I was awesome. And I just want to share, if it's okay, I just want to share this one story with you. Um, I was driving my son to indoor soccer, and for no apparent reason, out of the back seat I hear, Dad, I don't think I'm ever going to get a credit card. And I'm like... Where did this come from? But I'm trying not to overreact, okay? So I'm like, okay, that sounds like a solid choice. Um, Can you tell me more about why you said that? And he said, well, when you go into a store and you just have cash, you just buy the one thing. But if you have a credit card, it might be easy to buy, like, other things that you see. And I'm thinking I'm the most awesome parent in the world because somehow this kid has maybe picked something up that we've said along the way. Then it even gets better, just a small cherry on top. The next day, I'm doing taxes with my daughter, okay? And she's in the room, and I'm trying not to embarrass her. So, and, and she does exactly what all of us have done when we look at our taxes. She goes to the W-2, and she goes to the first box and says, wow, that's a lot of money. And then she says the next line, and tell me you haven't said this. She said, and help me out, where did it all Go. All right. And I'm thinking, okay, we're having an honest conversation about money. This is cool. I feel like my kids are starting to get it. Now, I I felt great about being a parent this week. The next 51 weeks this year will humble me, and they may not listen to anything else I say, but it was awesome to just, like, have a conversation just about finances. Now, you might be wondering what that has to do with Matthew 18. Absolutely nothing, (laughs) except for maybe in a small way. That, that as we treat one another, as we talk about one another, as we work out things with one another, if you're a parent, you have little eyes watching, and you have ears hearing, and the Jesus that you claim to follow, they're trying to understand. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to go to, our, to uh, basically where we've been. So we've been in this series basically talking about our faith community. Like, what faith community do you travel in life with? For some of us, it's switched different times, right? Um, And so when I talk to high school seniors, I always say, go find. Like, youth group has been great, but now you're in position to go be a part of another faith community. You need to figure out what that is. Find one. I've met with uh, married couples and said the same thing. Like, find that faith community that builds you up, you feel a part of. And so right now... Uh, You can go to the next slide. Um, What we've covered is the faith communities that we want to be a part of, they're unique. There's hope. There's service. They're Christ-centered. And today, they're a reconciling community. And what does that mean? The the older I get, the more beautiful reconciliation becomes. I, I think probably as a young person, I think that you just sort of have this feeling that you can burn bridges and say whatever you want because... You've got plenty of time to, like, make new bridges. But I think maybe as you get older, you think, hmm, probably should take care of the bridges around me. I talked to someone in their 70s this week, and, and he said, the, more, the older I get, the more I understand how important bridge building is. I'm not sure I've gotten better at it, but I certainly appreciate it more than ever. So when people look at our Christian homes, our Christian churches, our ministries, 
Do they see open and honest conversations with one another, us working to build relationships with each other, or do they see relational train wrecks? Because I've been around situations where that's like all I see. What is reconciliation? Um, This next slide, I just sum it up in three parts to kind of bring images to your head. Um, Like if you look it up, if you Google it, it's going to say something like the restoration of friendly relations. So maybe something that was, was lost, and then sort of regained. So um, in college, I was away. I lived in Africa for six months, and I was able to come home two days before Christmas. And my parents were waiting for me at Dulles Airport when I flew in. And you can imagine, I was away for six months, the longest I've ever been away. I was on the other side of the globe. You can imagine that we, like, hugged it out when we saw each other, right? I mean, like, that embrace was meaningful, and I still remember it years later. So it's this idea of, like, coming together. I, I like the word overdue embrace. Just, like, we came together. Now, can you imagine if, if maybe I'd lived out the prodigal son story and for, like, two years, and, like, they didn't know where I was, and I was up to, you know, shady stuff, no good. Imagine me coming back, like, for Christmas and, like, giving them a hug. How important that would be. Sort of like the clear-the-air important embrace. So um, I asked uh, Corby, uh, they just finished up their youth retreat this past weekend. And uh, I said, give me, give me, like, what does embrace look like on the youth retreat? So here's the pictures that I got. Um, the first one to the left is a silly, crazy embrace. And that's important on youth retreats. And then a more serious around the sharing time embrace down in the corner. But these are embraces that as a community we want to have. It's all part of this reconciliation Another way to, to think about it is restoring something. Is there, have you ever tried to restore something? A piece of furniture, maybe a car. Okay, it's this act of you get something that's really kind of messed up and not working, and you step into it knowing it's going to take a little while, and it's going to be hard work. But then you get it to where you want it to be. So this picture, I asked Jason Minnick to share a couple pictures with me, uh, things that he's worked on. And so you have a beautiful, awesome truck on the left, and we all would love to run around on Sundays in that. That looks awesome. But what he got was on the right. And so he had to take all the pieces on the right and just start to work. He had to step into the restoration project process to get to what was awesome on the left up there. And so what's reconciliation? It's this restoration of relations. What's biblical reconciliation? I think we're handed over and over two things in the Bible. God and man, and then man and man. So God and man. In the New Testament, um, sins, when it says sin over and over again, that, that would be things a Jesus follower should not do, should not commit. Also, debts comes up a lot. We actually sung it in one of the songs. So debts are my responsibilities that I failed at. Things I failed to do. Maybe promises that I failed on. So we get the idea of sins and debts. It's sort of an interchangeable thing. But all that together, sins and debts, are things that I can't totally fix and I can't repay. I can't just make right. And so we need Jesus for that. He's the only one that can come into our life and pay those, fulfill those, because I can't. And we live that out by the the time that we say the sinner's prayer, the time that we're saved, maybe our baptism, each time we do communion together, we sort of live that out, that we need God, because we can't just cover our debts. We have too many. They're too deep. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, and forgive our debts, and then it says, 
we also have forgiven our debtors. So there's this unique hinge, this unique relationship between God and me and man and man, one another. It's the things that, that our kids, they watch us, they listen. They want to know, like, how do you act this out? How do you work this out? Why is this important, Dustin? I, I think for this right here, this next slide. God values the reconciliation of relationships more than religious practices. And he calls it out. In the Old Testament, and then Jesus repeats these words in the New. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice is great, but over top of that, I desire mercy. I want you to show mercy to one another. I'm going to jump into Matthew 18 finally. Here we go. Um, I'm only going to get through three verses. There's more here, but honestly, we're only going to have time for three verses. And I ask you this. I ask you to look at it with fresh eyes. I think we should probably always say that as we go to Scripture. But look at it with fresh eyes. It's been used in a lot of different ways through the years. Just give it a fresh look this morning. I'm going to read 15, 16, and 17 with you from Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful... Take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Following this teaching, Jesus jumps into the parable of the unforgiving debtor to prove a point. What am I trying to say to you about paying back debt? I just want to capture that in this this quick snapshot. Jesus gives this beautiful, heartbreaking story about a man forgiven of a great and terrible debt. Remember I said debts that we can't pay back? If he would have worked his whole life for 20 years and only tried to pay back the debt, maybe he could have then. He was forgiven of that incredible debt, only to have a new start. What did he do with his new start? He went out and he found someone that owed him a small debt that could be paid back in three months. He grabbed the guy and choked him. I've walked into lots of churches in my day with stained glass window. I'm still looking for that stained glass window. Like, I still haven't seen that one yet. But, but I've seen different paintings of it. So he goes and he grabs this guy. Like, you've got to pay me back now. And then he throws him in prison so he can't even pay it back. The debt that we owe to God is so great. And Jesus covers it. What do we do with that new start? So if Jesus forgives your long credit card bill of sins and debts, do you then turn around and curse out the person who just took your parking spot? As I prepared for for this, and and we're going to jump into those three verses, kind of go line by line quickly. But I had to do research this week. I had to put my Bible down and say, you know, this has a lot to do with people. So I should probably talk to people. And so I called a couple people up. I talked to to a couple different people. And I said, these are my three questions for you. And I want to run through these three questions because I think maybe, this is my research this week, but maybe you want to do your own research. Maybe you want to ask your spouse. These three things. How has Matthew 18 worked between us? How have you observed it working well? And have you ever observed it being abused or mishandled? So the first one, 
How does it work between us? I, I sat down with, with Corby. Um, we've worked together very closely. In fact, we used to share an office, and we were like three feet apart, so that's how close we've worked. Um, and we've exchanged jobs and responsibilities for 20 years in so many ways. I said, Corby, how does it work between us? And uh, he said, yeah, there has been times that, like, we've had to, like, work things out for, for certain. Like, definitely the first part of Matthew 18 going to one another. We've had to do that. I said, well, let, let's think of a time. And, and sure enough, there was a time last year I, I had kind of stepped into a situation and kind of took control of it, and it was really under Corby's oversight. And he kind of walked away, like kind of like hurt and disappointed and confused and like, hey, what are we doing here? And I remember um, he said, hey, I need to come over and just sit down with you for a couple minutes. And, and I could tell in his tone of voice, like sometimes you can kind of pick up in people's tone of voice. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm like going to get like the sledgehammer. I did something wrong, but I don't know what. Like it was one of those things. All I could do is say, God, help me listen. He just like said, hey, here's the situation. You know, I was kind of bummed out by it. And I was fully like, okay, like I hear what you're saying, like sorry. And like, you know, we worked it out. That was one of the situations we were able to work out. And, and he, he said, you know, sometimes, you know, things like that happen and you just move on. But this one just hung on to me. And so I like had to come and talk to you about it. When Brian and I, Pastor Brian and I, when we kind of do supervision together, he'll often say, hey, how are you and I doing? kind of to bring up the first part of Matthew 18. How are we doing? Maybe with your spouse, you've said, like, how are we doing? How are we doing? This is, this is called the Good and Beautiful Life Series. What does the good and beautiful community of faith look like? It, it, it's a community that's willing to do those things. How have you observed it working well? I talked to, to someone who happens to be on our leadership board, and um, we just talked back and forth, and they said, you know, Definitely when you're married, like, you work this thing out again and again and again. But, but when you go to that person because you're hanging on to something, it's often that you've made it a lot bigger than what it is. And I find that most of the times it's really a misunderstanding. Also, we're so busy in our lives, we just don't take time to hear the other person's story. So it's good to stop and just hear one another's story. And, and lastly, whether it, it's my wife or with other people in the community or in the church, um, it's always good to consider that that other person is probably going through a battle of their own. They're probably dealing with something else that you're not seeing. I, I said, what about the second part where you pull someone else in or two other people in? What's that look like? And they said, you know, I've seen that work well. Um, I've seen it work in, in ways maybe you bring a financial advisor in. And I've also seen a counselor be able to draw it in. So maybe they don't pick sides, but just help both people hear one another. Thirdly, um, have you ever observed it being abused or mishandled? I kind of had all kinds of stories about this this week. Um, and, and I won't pick on anyone with this one. But I did. I just read an article. Uh, someone kind of was saying the same thing about where in their church they felt like it was abused. And it, just a simple story of... Um, there was a young worship leader, and during the, the end of the service, he switched Jesus loves me to Jesus loves us. And the elders of the church weren't happy with that change. He felt like he had stepped over a line. And so they brought him in, and, and they said that you need to apologize in front of the whole church for doing that if you want to keep your job. Not sure that's what Jesus is trying to get at in Matthew 18. And so Maybe some of you have stories where you've seen it sort of get real sideways. And people have kind of taken it at a license to sort of 
um, nail someone or, or make someone ashamed. So again, I'm going back to Matthew 18 with fresh eyes. I want to go over a couple words in here. We tried to fit all this on one slide, so it might be a little bit tough to read. Um, But the word you, it's going to be in the first line, you, that's singular. That's you. So so my friend Sean here, if he's got like something that he needs to talk to me about, it's saying, hey, hey, Sean, you. And then at the end of these verses, um, it says treat it really should say you treat, that's also singular. It's really important here because when it says how you should put a boundary up and create some space with that person, it's still talking about Sean. It's still talking about one person, not like this whole community or a mob of people. It's talking about one person. So it's real important to just realize that you is singular the whole way through these. Also, the, the ending, um, it says in the translation I used this morning, pagan or crap t- corrupt tax collector. Um, that's not a motorcycle gang, and it's not the guy who helped you at H&R with your taxes. Okay, this is um, basically a term for outside the church. So um, most translations say the word Gentile. Um, in our area, if you've been around the Amish community at all, they'll often refer to anyone who's not Amish as... English. Like, that means everyone. No matter their color or where they're from, they're English. Um, Kind of the same thing here. So if you're not in our Jewish faith community, then you're a Gentile. And so that's what that, the end of this really means. Like, treat them like a Gentile. Now, how did Jesus treat Gentiles? With an open hand. With an invitation. With sitting down and eating with them. So just because you're treating like the Gentile, you're creating a boundary, a safe space between you and them. They're no longer a trusted part of your faith community, but that doesn't mean that you treat them miserably. Believer. Believer is very, this is a personal, um, believer is very much like a fellow companion. Um, It could be someone next to you. Let's just think about where this question um, that Jesus is answering starts. It starts with the disciples. It's not to a whole mountainside of 5,000 people. It's not to the Pharisees. It's to the disciples. And so they, they were this ragtag group of 12. Sometimes it added to it. But they traveled around following and doing the ministry of Jesus. And so this group was asking Jesus' question, and Jesus is answering how to live with one another. So uh, let's say Peter was asking this question. It doesn't say. Later on, he asks another question. Let's say Peter's asking this question. How do I live with my brothers is what he's basically saying. And Jesus is kind of answering it for him. So as they moved around and, and they, were, they were in tight quarters, they had to live next to each other. You know, someone ate all the cake. Someone drank all the milk. Someone let the toilet seat up. They, were, they had tensions. They, they had issues among them. This is kind of Jesus saying, this is what you do when you're in close quarters and you're trying to live life with one another. So very much believer, the third word there is very personal. Like you have skin in the game in this. This isn't, I noticed this about you, but I don't really know you. This is like, hey man, like we've been close, but this is, this is what happened. This is working out someone who's really connected to you. You both want to work it out, or at least you do. Go. This go in private, it doesn't mean like secrecy. It doesn't mean like let's hide it. It just means that you want to give them a fresh start. Uh, You deeply value them. You're willing to just give them some time to process the information. Um, Try to create a safe space. Um, I I, I was a part of a county ability group in 
college, and our joke was always like, I don't mind you confronting me as long as it's over milk and Oreos. So give them a safe space. Give them, like, a time. Like, like again, Corby was like, hey, Dustin, can I, can I stop over and just speak to you for a couple minutes? And you know, I tried to carve out a little bit of time so we could do that in a good space. Um, point out. Point out's tough. Um, some translations would say confront. Uh, it basically means bring things to light. Kind of lay them on the table. That's kind of what it means. Listen means listen. It's about as basic as that. But listen well. And it takes two people at this point because you're both shouldering um, the conflict, the sin, the debt. You're both shouldering it. And so both of you need to listen. I always say listen two times, meaning ask a follow-up question. So like all the time or just this one time? That's that's a great question to ask. Um, Do you think other people see this or is this just between you and me? So ask, ask one more question to fully understand what the concern is. So, so listen not once but twice. Confess. Confess would mean that, that you're repeating the concern back and you're, you're basically saying, yeah, I'm willing to take some of this on my shoulders. Confess. I think it also would, would reflect a change or an action, something that I could do differently. Hey, how about the next time we do this? Or, yeah, I can see why I, I need to stop that. That would be confess. So again, you go um, <clears throat> this, is a belie- this is a companion, someone that you sort of have a relationship with. There's a little bit of trust. Um, you go to them. You point out. Get it into the light. They, you ask them to listen at this point, and then you listen as well. You're both listening to one another. If that all goes down, a lot of the times the issue can be resolved, work through, clear the air. Maybe that embrace can happen. It says the word win or won, which I really like. And it's not about you winning. Just want to be as clear as possible about that. It's not about you winning and someone losing here. It's about the relationship winning. Simple as that. The relationship. So when you're going to talk to them, it's not about proving that you're right. It's that you want this relationship that's kind of messed up right now to be restored. Or something that they're doing or saying is like driving them away from God and you. And you're just trying to like carefully point it out and say, hey, I think it should be better than this. So the win is about the relationship. Are you pursuing that win? Sometimes it doesn't always work out. It says, um, you know, may, then, then get someone else, two other people, to maybe help you think through. Maybe, first of all, find out if what you're thinking is crazy or, like, on point. So maybe that's helpful. Or maybe they need someone in their corner. Or maybe an objective person between the two of you. Or maybe, um, maybe you want to establish a pattern in a loving way where you say, hey, this person also had this happen to them. Um, we just want to both talk to you about it without ganging up on them. So um, that can be really helpful, the one or two. And then lastly, it says, like, get the church involved. I have this question for you. Again, look at this with fresh eyes. It's easy to look at it from like this vantage point. Like, you know, 600 member, MBIC, big church, two services, some pastors. Like, it's easy to look at it like that. But who's Matthew's church? Who's Matthew's church? If he looked around in that that moment, who's Peter's church? It's like the 12. It's this like faith community that they trust we know that not are all good apples, but, but they trusted they're doing life together. 
That's his church. And Jesus is saying, well, maybe you need to get the whole group in on this. If it goes to that point, maybe the whole community needs to kind of figure out what to do with this person's debt, sin, disruptiveness. And so that's what it means. It doesn't say anything about a a hierarchy or a leader or bring them before the church pastor. It just, Jesus is saying, like, in your faith community, we need to work this out. How do we fail at this? I always like to ask that question. When when Jesus is given this this command or these instructions, how do we mess this up? How do we fail? These are the things that I thought about this week. Number one, we don't go. Because it's so much easier to talk about it behind their back. Like, we don't go. We don't don't give them a heads up, hey, can we chat? We just either sit on it and brew, or we want to talk to some other people about it. But we don't go. Number two, the listening breaks down. This can happen. I mean, on both parties. The listening can quickly break down. Number three, we're quick to give up. Um, I did Matthew 18. It didn't work. I'm done. Wash my hands. It's someone else's problem now. So we're quick to give up. Number four, we go when it's not our business. Um, I had to take this quote. Um, this is Eric Mason. He's a pastor down in North Philly. Uh, I've taken teams to Philly for, for many years, and I try to go to this one church that I really respect and love uh, right next to Temple University's campus. And so this is his line. <clears throat> Do we have that line? Yes. When the center of your ministry is to critique the ministry of others, you don't have a ministry. So this idea of, like, we go when it's not our business, we're speaking up, and we have no skin in the game, and I think that we fail when we do that. And lastly, the person at risk, the person that you um, might be trying to kind of call on something, um, they use the process as a shield to hide behind. So what that means is, I don't think Jesus says it has to be handled this way every single time, no matter the issue. Because um, let's say the issue is pretty severe, like cheating, abuse, fraud, embezzlement. All that might do is give the person a heads up. So in my case, I'll pick on me for a second. So let's say Dustin is embezzling money and I'm pretty good at it. All right. And let's say that Paul, the treasurer, who's, who's going to be in the lobby between services, um, let's say he, he sees it. He, he finally figures it out, and he's going to kind of call me on it. Um, I want him to follow Matthew 18. I want him to feel trapped by Matthew 18 because I want him to come to me first and give me a heads up. Because if he gives me a heads up, I have time to cover it up, and maybe I can start digging some, some bad stuff on him up in case he ever comes at me and I have ammunition to give back to him. Right? And maybe we're not trapped into it. And maybe there's situations where the first part of Matthew 18 isn't going to work or isn't the best choice. I think church leaders, and and I happen to be one of them, I'm in front of you, uh, we're in a little bit of a special, unique situation. Um, There's verses, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, that really speak to us when we're out of line. And... um, that's, that's not Matthew 18, but it's pretty harsh. I mean, it talks about, like, I would need to come and confess in front of y'all, in front of the whole church, or you, you could have me, like, sent out from you. And so there's some real kind of harsh language around that church leader who's up to no good. And that's in 1 Timothy 5, not exactly Matthew 18. Lastly, I've been blessed when people have taken the time to come and talk to me. 
as a Matthew 18, just a brother in the faith, or maybe as a church leader at times. Um, it's not real comfortable. I'm not a big fan of conflict, honestly. Um, but um, it's usually pretty good, or at least I know where they stand, or at least it helps me. Um, I usually respect them, even if I don't totally agree. I, I think I respect the fact that they took time and they like, gave me a chance. And so I think in our community, uh, we want to be a faith community that, that there's reconciliation. I think that church leaders uh, need to be willing to, to sit down and, and hear one another out and to hear people's questions. I think hard questions are okay. And because this, this is a line that I, that I kept thinking about this week, the peace that comes from never challenging leadership is really a pretend peace. It's not real. And and. If I'm going to invest all this time and effort and donations to a faith community, I want it to be one where we can be as honest as we can. Ask good questions. By the way, um, my my name's Dustin, and if you want to come talk to me, it never hurts to bring a pound of Starbucks coffee and a few Long Johns with you. Like, I'm all good with that. Or the milk and Oreo idea. That's fine, too. Um, what's the win? I I, want to end on what's the win in Matthew 18? You know, is it to slam the person? No. Is it to embarrass them? No. Is it to shame them into, like, behaving? No. Is it to prove that you're right? No. It's to win the restoration of the relationship, to restore back, or at least extend an open hand that doesn't look like it's going to smack him in the face as well. Like a, a humble, open hand into that relationship. What's the opposite of win? Well, it's loss. It's loss. And, and if, if you're uh, a part of a relationship, it could be marriage, a partnership, it could be a coworker, and you feel this loss, then you're probably at the beginning of Matthew 18. You're probably finding yourself, you know, in your marriage, you might say, it doesn't have to be like this. We could do better. You're sensing a loss. And it could be better. Um, you want to win. Uh, it could be coworker. You know, we've been dealing with a lot lately, and we're just not getting along. Like, like, let's talk about it. Let's make this better than it is. It could be a group of siblings, young or old. I hate it when brothers and sisters fight. Like, we're better than that. We've got to push through this in some way. Jesus uses this word win. Um, kind of the opposite of the word loss, which happens in Matthew 18. I'll let you look at this later. But in Matthew 18, we have this incredible story of the shepherd that goes and finds the sheep that was lost. And, and the shepherd, out of 100 sheep, he's missing this one. This one, it's driving him crazy. It's heartbreaking. Where is this sheep? Here he is, finding that sheep, restoring that relationship with the sheep. But um, to understand the win that Jesus is trying to get to in the next story is to understand the loss that the shepherd is dealing with when he can't find where is this one sheep. And so what are we hoping for? What are we praying for? We're praying that that relationship can get restored. What's lost can be found, just like this story that Jesus gives right before uh, the instructions that we get in Matthew 18. I hope that you go this week and you struggle through it. Uh, it might be like an old truck that needs fixed up, and you're like, man, one step at a time. I guess i gotta got to walk into this. Go in humble. Go in with your eyes on Jesus. But go to the person. Go to the person and pray like crazy through it. The thing about Matthew 18 is it's all of us. 
Like we all have this ministry of reconciliation. We can't just look to certain people to, to do it for us. And so this morning as we end, um, I just ask that during this song that you're able to think about what God's calling you into. What would God have you to say to that person? And maybe just really fix your eyes on Jesus in that moment.